Hey guys, this is Sarah Beth, and you are listening to episode 37 of the Simply 127 podcast. We have enjoyed a little bit of a summer break, but we're excited to jump back in and to resume these conversations that are just with everyday people who are tangibly living out James 127 in different ways. Um, We will be wrapping up season two in eight weeks, so you can expect episodes dropping every other week from now until September 29th. Um, Today's conversation is with Chelsea Sobolik. She is another real-life friend of mine. (laughs) She serves as the Director of Public Policy at the ERLC in their D.C. office, so she'll tell us a little bit more about that. She's also an author. She wrote a book called Longing for Motherhood, and she's working on her second book um, through Moody Publishers. So she lives in D.C. with her husband, Michael. And Chelsea, I'm going to try to keep us on track because I know there are lots of things that we could talk about, and I know you and I have no trouble chatting for long amounts of time. So let's just start with your family of origin. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and how God was working in your life and how that began at an early age? Absolutely. Well, I will try to be concise. There's a <laughs> lot I could say, yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to be concise. But uh, my story begins on the other side of the world. I was born in Bucharest, Romania, and adopted uh, quite young. I was very little. Uh, my parents adopted myself and a little boy. We are not blood related, uh, but we're actually 11 days apart. So we oh. were raised essentially as twins, which was <laughs> really fun. Yeah. Um, really, really fun. But it's, I feel like in some ways my story begins even before I was, I was here. Uh, (laughs) my, my parents, um, had, uh, tried and couldn't have children. Um, and we're actually in the domestic adoption process, um, in North Carolina. And it was taking just an obscene amount of time. And they were watching, um, a 2020 documentary series on Romania, and on the Romanian orphans, Romania was communist until uh, 1989 when the Iron Curtain fell in Romania. Mm-hmm. And the, the rest of the world went in to see the country and see the state of the country. And what they discovered was um, all these orphanages with all these children. Um, one, of the, one of the things about uh, the dictator, Ceausescu, he was trying to compete with the the population of uh, the Soviet Union, and um, women were fined if they didn't have children uh, by a certain age and didn't have a certain amount or certain number of children. Wow. Um, so all these children were born, um, but they, they the families didn't have the, the financial resources to care for them, so they were all placed into institutions. So um, the the world went in and kind of saw what was happening and the Lord laid it on my heart, um, on my parents' heart to travel to Romania and adopt. And adoption 30 years ago was much different. International <laughs> adoption was much different yes. than it, was, it is today. Um, <laughs> so they adopted me and a little, little boy. Um, I was a month old. I was never in an orphanage. So I was mm-hmm. so obviously thankful for that. And then um, my parents adopted four more children um, from Russia. Oh, wow. Um, so we're uh, one of six, all adopted, <laughs> and I, I loved it. It was really neat to grow up sharing adoption with all of my siblings. Yeah. And, of course, our stories are very different in some ways. Um, one of my siblings was six when she was adopted, uh, and she came seeking only Russian, and uh, <laughs> so that was... <laughs> quite an adventure but i loved it and for 
for me, adoption was normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And just growing up in a big family and all that that entails as well. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It was a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) I also think some of our listeners are probably going to have to Google Romanian history and get some more details Mm -hmm. about that. (laughs) There's a lot there. Yeah. 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 So one of my like kind of staple questions on the podcast is how did God first stir your heart for the vulnerable but you actually were vulnerable. And so that's kind of a different yes. perspective. I'd love to hear more about that. Just growing up in, um, like you said, in an adoptive home. And um, at what point did you realize that you were the, you know, one of the vulnerable people that, that we're talking about? Mm-hmm. My parents were always very open with my story and with my sibling stories. And I always knew I was adopted, which I'm very thankful for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just very common. I, you know, would talk with my friends about it. Um, and it was just very normal for me. Um, but my parents were also very open if I had questions about my story. Um, you know, some questions I had they couldn't answer. Um, and I think the older I got, number one, learning more about the history and the culture of Romania. Um, and and realizing that not every kid had a chance at a loving home and having a mom and a dad and realizing that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of kids both in the United States and abroad that don't grow up in a safe, permanent and loving home. And Mm -hmm. I've just always had a heart for vulnerable people. That's I, I just, the Lord gave me a very tender and soft heart for those, for vulnerable people. And, you know, like you said, knowing I was once very vulnerable and um, the Lord placed me in my family, I think I am very blessed. And I get, I know everyone has a different, you know, adoptees have different experiences. Um, but I had a very positive one and I have been given much and I, I want to be able to give, give back and, um, be a voice on behalf of many voiceless uh, kiddos around the world. Yeah. I mentioned this before I hit record, but just knowing that this conversation was coming up, I'm like, I want to hear more about your personal story. Also the work you do definitely involves justice. I know you've written some books. So I kind of, because I want to keep it a relatively short podcast too, (laughs) kind of keep it a 30,000 foot view. I'm just going to kind of, I guess, Uh, skim over all of those and let you just share a little bit. So the first would be just about your work with the ERLC, just for people who don't know what that is and how that is related to justice and advocacy, obviously. Um, uh, Can you just tell us a little bit more about your role and the work that you do there? Absolutely. So the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, ERLC, is the public policy and ethics arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. So we speak um, on behalf of churches and uh, equip the church on um, issues of ethics and public policy. I'm in our Washington, D.C. office, so I spend a lot of my time working on public policy and advocacy. Mm -hmm. And we work on a range of issues, ranging from... uh, pro-life issues, marriage and family, uh, some justice issues, some international issues, and child welfare. Um, And before I I started here, I worked on Capitol Hill, and my boss at the time uh, was the co-chair of the Adoption Caucus. So I've worked on federal child welfare policy for almost eight years um, in some capacity in D.C., um, which has been really fun. It's an issue uh, 
that, you know, a lot of issues in Washington, D.C. have very well-paid lobbyists. <laughs> um, and vulnerable kids don't have many people, um, you know, advocating on their behalf. And of course, there's some great nonprofits and things like mm-hmm. that that do advocacy, but it's not at the same caliber as many other issues in, in D.C. So um, I count it truly a joy to get to work on a lot of these most of my work is, is federal policy, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's a joy, and there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's incredible. I know there's a lot of always a lot of work to be done on Capitol Hill. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then I know uh, you enjoy writing, and so I'd love to hear. I know I've I've read your first book, and then I I hear you have a second book coming out. So I guess thinking about maybe a little bit about both of the books and then how they relate to this idea of justice, caring for vulnerable people. Um, I think that's a thread that kind of weaves into every aspect of your life. So I'd love to hear more about your books. Absolutely. Well, my my first one is called Longing for Motherhood, uh, Finding Hope in the Midst of Childlessness. And when I was 18, I found out that I was born with a somewhat rare medical genetic condition that prevents me from having biological children. And I was a very, it was a very tender age to find out something like that um, and mourn the loss of the death of that dream, but also wrestle through a lot of my identity as a woman and what that looked like if I couldn't have natural born children. And most, most people walk through some type of childlessness in the context of marriage. And I was a freshman at college. It was Mm -hmm. just a very tender time. And I'm a big, I am an avid reader. So I I walked out of the doors of the doctor's office and into the doors of my local bookstore to read my way through that. (laughs) And, there were no books on the shelf that fit me. There were a couple on infertility, but that mm-hmm. wasn't me, and a couple on miscarriage, but that wasn't me either. So I wrote the book trying to cast a very wide net of childlessness, which incorporated me, obviously, infertility and miscarriage, but it also covers women who have had abortions, women who have made an adoption plan for their children and don't have those mm-hmm. children anymore single women who don't have children Mm -hmm. um i wanted to be very inclusive in that and i i tell my my personal adoption story in the book and i certainly talk about adoption as an option to building a family with the caveat that the lord does not call everyone to adopt he does call i believe he does call everyone to be involved in caring for the orphan and the widow but Mm. he does not call everyone to to adopt themselves and adoption should not be used as a band-aid to f- fix the, the to, to yeah. fix something. Yeah. That's not fair to, to anyone involved. Yeah. Um, so, I remember one of yeah. our first conversations was realizing like, I was like, why am I buying this book about motherhood? But, you know, we've talked about prolonged singleness and I think you yeah. just mentioned like grieving the life that you thought you would have and embracing the life that God has for you. And, um, I know it was a wider audience than you intended. Maybe, maybe not. Cause you did, I mean, I know you talked about single people there, but I know that that's something that I really resonated with of mm-hmm. just reconciling what I want with what seems in front of me. <laughs> and those aren't always the same. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. Um, and I actually, it, 
was interesting. I have had a decent amount of single people reach out about the book and, um, yeah, so it's, I wrote the book I wish I'd had, um, (laughs) on the bookshelves and my next book is on women and work. Um, again, a book I haven't seen much on the bookshelves from a (laughs) Christian perspective. So attempting to tackle that, uh, topic hopefully well, um, I'm still writing it. I was going to say, when is it coming out? Sometime next year. Okay. Um, Yes. We'll definitely link to Longing for Motherhood in the show notes. And if there's like a coming soon or a pre-order, we can find it for your new book. (laughs) Um, So we've talked about work and then writing. The third thing is just personally, um, we talked about your childhood a little bit, but just um, your current, I know you're married and there's some exciting things on the horizon. We'd love for you just to share a little bit more about your personal life and how it relates to caring for the vulnerable. Absolutely. So we are in the adoption process ourselves right now, um, which I'm thrilled about, but want to kind of tie this back to the the book real quick. I have a longing for motherhood um, without kids and we're in the adoption process now, but you know, the Lord does not promise that that will be successful. I certainly hope it is, but that's not a promise from Him. And I wanted to write write the book and talk about this topic without having a neat, tidy red book <laughs> tied on my story. Because yeah. so many times, and I, I don't mean this to be critical, but so many books I've read, you know, I'll read someone's story and it ends happily ever after. And that's fantastic, but that's not real life for yeah. everyone. And I wanted to be very intentional about how I've, I've talked about this topic with still being in the the middle of it. Um, But we are in the adoption process. (laughs) We are uh, pursuing um, an adoption from India. We would love to be able to bring home siblings. Uh, We'll, we'll see. It's uh, (laughs) kind of a a question mark as to one or two right now, but we're wrapping up our home study and Michael, my husband, when we were dating, Uh, He obviously knew I couldn't have kids. And so, again, this is something a lot of people work through in marriage, not necessarily (laughs) dating, but we, he knew if we built our family, it would be through adoption. And we, you know, had a lot of conversations and dating about what that would look like and, and all of that. And he married me. So, (laughs) uh, but it's been really neat to see what are the things that, um, and I did not make this observation, our social worker did actually, but Michael in, you know, adoption is not part of his story. It's part of mine, but Michael understands what it's like to, to experience both joy and sorrow with the same thing. With marrying me, he would give up the dream of having natural born children for himself, but he also loved me. And so that joy and that sorrow coexisting and while Adoption is not part of his story. He understands that feeling. And I think a lot of adoptees feel that the joy and the sorrow coexisting in our stories. And because there's, there's trauma involved in adoption. And again, while Michael wasn't adopted, he understands those feelings. And I think I'm so grateful that he understands that to be able to understand what our kids will feel and what I felt. And, um, that's a, that's a long way of saying yeah. <laughs> in our personal lives right now, we're, um, we're pursuing adoption and I love that. it's been really neat to, to walk forward in that journey. Yeah. He, he weighed out the pros and cons and you were worth, uh, 
the bittersweet. <laughs> That's yeah. a beautiful yeah. picture. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Awesome. Um, okay, let's see. These are just some random questions I have been asking this season on the podcast. We're talking about the truth of the gospel and how that is central to the work of King for the Vulnerable. You know, with 127 Worldwide, we don't just want to be known as a humanitarian organization. So I would love to know just from your personal and professional experience, just what connections can you make based on this idea that the gospel is central to what we do? Mm, Thank goodness. I think, you know, adoption is such a picture of the gospel um, and being involved in caring for the least of these mirrors what God did for us. And of course, we are not the Savior. Uh, He has come and died and been raised again. Praise the Lord. (laughs) But we are called to to love um, our neighbor as ourselves. And when we do love... um, and get involved in caring for vulnerable people. Um, we're telling the world about who God is because spiritually we are all vulnerable. We are all orphaned without uh, the gospel. And so I think when the world sees us stepping in and caring for uh, vulnerable people, whether it's a refugee, an immigrant, an orphan, um, a, a young single mother, whatever, that person is when the world sees that it does tell the world something about God and something about um, who he is and, and what he cares about. So I think it's an extremely number one, we're called to love God and love neighbor and the word outworks that in different ways in our lives. But I do think uh, we are called to, to be involved in, in caring for the least of these. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, You said you were an avid reader. I know something I love, and and we've talked about loving to listen to podcasts, (laughs) but is there any advice or words of wisdom that you would share either with people who are considering foster care or adoption, or maybe they're just understanding this idea that the gospel is central to caring for the vulnerable? Like, What are some things that have impacted you and maybe that you would recommend for people who are curious? Oh, that's... There's a lot I can say. <laughs> um, for for families who are considering adoption, foster care, CASA, what, whatever, being involved in a vulnerable kiddo's life, I would say to read as many trauma-informed mm. books and resources as possible. I would highly recommend The Connected Child and The Whole-Brained Child. Both of those are fantastic yeah. um, because you'll begin to understand the brain science behind the break in someone's story. Even if it was quite quite young, there's still that mm-hmm. break and there's still trauma. I would also say, and I, I think the trend is changing in, in this, but for a long time, I think we, we can act like we're, you know, coming in and saving a child. And, you know, while, yes, adoption does provide a home, a safe, loving, permanent home to children, we are not the saviors and we should not enter into a child's story with that, that mentality. Um, we are not the so hero it, of the story. Exactly. Exactly. It's <laughs> yes. not about us. Yeah. And that that kind of sounds like some tough love, to be honest, <laughs> but it's something we need to be aware of and to, to enter into the complexities and to know, you know, it's a nuanced and complex field because people are nuanced and complex and it's not as, 
it's not cut and dry always. So I think those are two things, the trauma-informed resources and just having a a really humble um, attitude and mindset about it. Yeah. We've mentioned Karen Purvis books before, just this, these she's ideas so of attachment. Yeah. Yeah. She left a legacy for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you would want to add as uh, we kind of wrap up our conversation? I know it's, it has been broad and we've kind of stayed at the 30,000 foot view, but <laughs> yeah. work, personal hobbies are all kind of interrelated for you of this care for vulnerable people and just a passion that God has placed in you. So I would just say, I mean, to folks listening, kind of, you know, trying to maybe figure out where they fit in, in this field or in loving their neighbor well, um, pray about it and ask the Lord where he wants you to love and to serve. Because, um, again, I said, I said earlier, we're not all called to adopt, but James one twenty seven. it it assumes that we're all involved in collectively caring for the orphan and the widow. Um, So maybe you're not called to adopt, but maybe you can financially help fund an adoption for those who are called to, or bring a meal to a a family who's fostering or become a CASA, a court appointed social advocate for kiddos in foster care. There's a thousand different ways this can play out just in this one field. But if you look at, you know, caring for refugees and asylum seekers or caring for, uh, you know, former incarcerated people, whatever the population, there's so many ways to get involved. And um, I I would pray about it and seek the Lord's wisdom and have open hands. Yeah, Um, Because I think it can, we can assume, oh, we're not called to this or that, but we've never actually prayed about it and given the Lord the freedom to work. That's good. It might take a little proactivity on your part, uh, mm-hmm. obviously through prayer, but also seeking out opportunities in your community. And I feel like sometimes we get in the habit of just waiting for opportunities to come for, to us and maybe not being mm-hmm. as proactive. So mm-hmm. that's a good word. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I love this conversation. I love what you, how God is using you and just look forward to uh, continuing to see how, uh, how He's going to use you and your family. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Chelsea is just a great lady and a beautiful soul. And I really do hope that some aspect of this conversation spurs you to dig deeper and just to want to learn more. Whether it is about Romanian history and how that affected the children of Romania in the 90s, maybe it's going to Amazon to order her book, Longing for Motherhood, maybe researching the work of the ERLC and how you could get involved there, Um, or maybe your interest is piqued about adoption in India and just the current state of international adoption. Our desire is that the Simply 127 podcast would expand your knowledge and understanding um, of everyday people and just how they're living out James 127 in tangible ways, but then also giving you some resources and tools to see how God might be directing you to care for the vulnerable. So thanks for continuing to push play. And I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Mm-hmm.